part of, I didn't say this last week, but everybody that was part of the trunk retreat, the outdoor service we did uh, at the end of no, uh, October, that was a whole lot of fun. And then uh, everybody that's making the baby shower happen today, thank you very much. Man, I, I love that like this church, when we have these opportunities to serve and do things for one another, and uh, when we do events, it's never just um, the same couple of people. It's, it's everybody getting involved, and, and this church really is a, just a, a team to working together to glorify God. So thank you, everybody who's been serving um, these last couple of weeks especially. So uh, we are in the midst of a series looking at and talking about who we are, uh, what we believe, what we strive to be. So we spent a lot of time walking through the church covenant. Um, and then last week we talked about our church mission statement. Um, and really, and what I said was, CF and really all gospel-believing churches have pretty much the same mission statement, to make disciples. We're all doing the same thing. We're trying to make disciples. We all state it and, and write it differently, but ultimately, um, you know, it's based on our context and those kind of things, but ultimately, we're all trying to make disciples, make followers of Jesus. We state ours by saying we want to be a church that is becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. We want to grow in becoming more like Christ, and as we do that, we want to share and tell people about the goodness and grace of God. That's the mission of CF. That's the purpose of the church. And so today we are going to talk about the vision of CF, the plan, how we are going to accomplish the mission. And so we accomplish the mission through the vision of CF, which is to be a lighthouse in Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world. Um, so we're going to unpack that and what that means this morning. So I'm going to pray and then we can uh, jump in. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this chance to be together, um, to celebrate you and your goodness. Lord, you are and have always been the God of community. You have eternally and forever existed in community, and when you made man, you made us for community. You made us for relationship with one another and with you. Um, and God, though uh, our relationships with one another is sometimes messy and hard, there are those moments, there are those seasons, there are those opportunities where we get to step in and we get to have these times, these glimmers, these glances of what it will be like when all things are made new. When all things have been put right and there is no more enmity between us and, and we live in perfect harmony. That day is not here yet and so we strive and we don't do it perfectly but we strive to glorify you in the way that we treat and relate to one another, the way that we act and, and live as the living stones you have made us to be as your temple, your reflection on this earth. God, you use us. We don't always understand or know why, but you have chosen to use us to further your gospel. You've chosen to use your creation to glorify your name and to make much of you. And so, Lord, we strive to do that. We want to do that, and it's hard and sometimes overwhelming, and so we know that you have given us the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and wisdom to listen when the Holy Spirit guides us, and the boldness and wisdom to respond when he tells us to move. God, as I open up the word this morning, as we dive in, and we talk about what it is that you have called us to be in this season as this church, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and built up and strengthened, that we are have a, a goal and a, and a plan to glorify you. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. 
Uh, so we're going to start in uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 5. So if you, have, uh, if you have your Bible, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 5. Um, today is going to be one of those days where we jump around a bunch, so it's going to be helpful for you to have the text um, in front of you. Um, every day is a good day to have the Bible open, and today is definitely one of those days, because as I said, we're going to do some jumping around. So Matthew 5 is where we're going to start, um, starting in verse 14 of uh, Matthew 5. So Jesus is speaking, and he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I said the, the mission or the vision statement of CF is to be a lighthouse in Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world. Um, I want to give a little bit of context, and some of you have heard this story before, so um, bear with me, but I want to give you a little bit of context of where that idea of the lighthouse comes from. Uh, when I first came to CF, uh, I got to meet and become friends with a bunch of different pastors in the city. This is a city that works together for, to see the gospel go forward. We cross denominations. We cross lots of different boundaries and contexts. It's, it's awesome to do ministry in the city. Made a lot of friends with pastors, and a lot of them were church planners. And the thing about church planners is they are trying to build something all the time. They don't have the, the history and legacy like a church like CF does. And so they are constantly working on what they call their mission, vision, and values. They're kind of their elevator pitch as they meet people and, and they say, well, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm planting a church and this is what our church is about, right? So these church planners were constantly saying, hey, what's the mission, vision, values of CF? Like, where are you guys going? What are you doing? And at the time, I was just trying to get this church to like me enough to keep me and like let me into the kitchen to make coffee. Like I was figuring out who I was and we were trying to get to know each other. And so this idea of mission, vision, it kind of overwhelmed me. But I, I sat down because everybody kept telling me I needed to really focus on it. I sat down, sitting on my couch, and I was praying. I said, God, you get, you got to help me with this because we both know I have no idea what I'm doing. And so uh, I'm praying, and God gives me this picture in my mind of a lighthouse sitting on a cliff, just a you know, red, white striped lighthouse on a cliff. No context, no instruction, no, like, here's the helpful instruction manual for how to lead this church and be a lighthouse man. Just this image of a lighthouse. So I kind of tucked that in my back pocket, and we just kind of kept going as a church. And about a year or so later, um, you know, the newness had worn off, um, and, and we were kind of, we weren't in a bad spot, but we were just kind of existing, going from Sunday to Sunday. We didn't really have a focus, a plan, and so at that point I said, okay, we, we really need to have something in writing, something, we're, what are we going toward? So I went back into prayer, and God, again, gives me this idea of a lighthouse. I said, okay, what do you want me to do with that, God? And again, no context. So I start getting weird about lighthouses. I started studying, and like my search history on my, on my computer went from like, what's the Cubs score, and who's starting this week, to like, where's the oldest lighthouse in the world, and how do they function, and how does the lens work? I got real weird with it. I started talking to a lot of people about lighthouses all the time. If you ever go up into my study, like there's lighthouse stuff. There's people, I got lighthouse socks. I got lighthouse, I got, uh, so people got weird with it because I was weird with it first. You know, when somebody has a thing they're into, and so you just lean in, people lent in, and it's fine, and I really like it. Um, but as I studied, as I got really into lighthouses, I kind of boiled down, what are the three big things that a lighthouse does? Lighthouses shine their lights, obviously. They welcome people, and they send people out. So shining, welcoming, and sending. That's kind of the focus of this morning. We shine the light of the gospel with our words and in our actions. 
Lighthouses shine their lights for two main reasons. One, to warn people of danger, to warn, hey, there's rocks coming, so be careful. Or two, hey, there's a safe harbor here. You can come and dock and get some rest. Those two things, shining to warn and to welcome, that's what the scriptures do for us. That verse I read, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. It's a statement, not a question, not are you or aren't you, or hey, if you have a chance, you should shine as the light of the world. No, the Son of God, God in the flesh said, you are the light of the world. If you are a follower of mine, you are the light of the world. It is who you have been made to be. And he goes on, and it's a very simple point there. He makes it, he says, look, you don't light a lamp and then hide it. You use it to do what light does. Light expels the darkness. No matter how dark a cave, the smallest match, the tiniest flicker of light will illuminate the whole room. Light expels darkness. That's what it does. And so we shine. We shine the light of the gospel through our words and in our actions. If you study the idea of light and darkness in the Bible, it's a running theme throughout the whole book. And light often and almost always represents goodness, whereas darkness represents bad. God is the giver of light, right? Genesis 1, let there be light. In Revelation 21, in the New Jerusalem, after the battles have been done, Christ is victorious, we are with Christ forever and ever. In the New Jerusalem, in Revelation 21, there is no need for lamps, it says, because God dwells with his people, and he is the light for his people. In Psalm 119, we know the truth of Scripture as the, the, in, the, um, in that psalm, it says the truth of Scripture is God's word to us is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. There is nothing evil or impure or false about who God is. Now, if you flip to John 8, you don't have to, but John 8, Jesus in a different place, in John 8, 12, says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But in Matthew 5, he said, we are the light of the world. But now he's saying he is the light of the world. So which one is it? It's kind of both. Jesus is the light of the world. He is truth. He is the Savior. He is the one who defeats sin and hell and Satan. He is the one who expels darkness from the world. He is the light of the world. We, in living in a way that glorifies God, in living out of our relationship with him, pursuing him day by day, and taking what we receive from God, and sharing it with the world, grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, love, we take these things, we take that light and reflect it to the world. In the way we carry ourselves, in the choices that we make, in the priorities that we choose, in the way that we are neighbors, in the way that we are parents and friends and coworkers and students, the way we handle our finances and our calendars, the way that we do these things, the things we choose to consume and the things we choose in society and in culture not to engage with. In all of those decisions, in all of those ways, we have the chance and ability to reflect the light of the world, to the, the light to the world. Phil Wickham in one of his songs says, he's singing to God and he says, if you are the sun, then I want to be the moon. And that's how we are the light of the world. It's not our light. It's not us that saves anyone. It's not us that defeats sin and hell and death. Jesus is the one true light. And we have been given the opportunity and the ability to reflect that light to the world. Once the gospel exposes the darkness within ourselves, then we have the opportunity to shine brightly. 
once we ourselves are willing to allow God to illuminate the areas and places in us that are dark, once we realize there is something greater than ourselves, something more important than ourselves, namely our relationship with God, which is better than anything else that we can do on our own, once we accept to choose to follow Christ and allow that reality to drive and guide our decision-making, now we are reflecting him in our lives and in our actions and in our words. So what does it mean to shine the light of the gospel with our words? It means on Sunday mornings, we study, we pray, we sing the Bible. Not to worship the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. This is God's word, living and active. The pure, holy, righteous, true, trustworthy God gave us his word to read and learn and grow in. So Sundays, on Sunday mornings, when you come to church here, we will always be in the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is real, and there is a supernatural element to reading it and studying it. It is a book to be read, yes, but one that is illuminated supernaturally by God. Sometimes it is encouraging to us and comforting to us, and sometimes it is challenging and convicting all at the same time. Lighthouses shine their light for two reasons, to warn and to welcome. They warn of danger or they welcome to a safe place. That is scripture for us. That is what we do when we gather on Sundays. We open and read. We don't hide from the hard and messy because the whole book is for us. So we are always going to shine the light of the gospel through our words. We will never hide away from the truth of scripture. We will talk about Jesus and sin and hell and heaven. We will always be grounded in the word of God. Whether it's a topic like marriage or parenting or sex or alcohol or how to work at your jobs or how to be a friend, at the end of the day, my opinion on these things does not matter and isn't worth much. And thankfully, we have the living, active word of God to go and learn from. And that's what we want to do on Sundays. But what about outside of here? What about outside of this time together? How do we, how do we shine the light of the gospel with our words outside of here? We're proclaiming Christ. you got to actually open your mouth, and have the conversations with people. Paul writes in Romans 10, I'm going to start in verse 13, but the uh, words will be up there, I think, starting in verse 14. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you pray and admit your need for a Savior, believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and choose for him to be your Lord and Savior, 100% of the time that prayer is heard and answered by God. But as Paul explains, why would anyone call out to Jesus if they don't believe in he, that he is God? And how would they even come to believe that if they've never heard about him? And how would they hear if no one preaches it to them? Now, some people hear that and read that and say, preach. Ha, see, I don't have to do that. I'm not a preacher. I'll just invite them to church or lock them in a room with a podcast, and the preacher can take care of that. That's a cop-out. Because we talked last week about how proclaim is to tell, to share, to announce. It is for all of us. But you might say, man, that's too big. That's too much. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I mess up the gospel presentation? First of all, 
if that is your worry, that should then drive you to be in the word, to study and to grow and to know God deeper and deeper and walk more and more in line with his will and know his character better. And second, do you really think you are the one over the course of all of history who is going to derail and stop the power and plan of God? No, you're not. Just be faithful to what you know. Trust that the Holy Spirit is with you to guide and teach and even speak through you. Share your story. Share who you were, who you were how you have experienced Jesus in your life, how God is working on and in you. Point people to Scripture. Point them to, God, to the God who made them and knows them and loves them. To be this light in the world, to point people to Jesus, we've got to actually talk about him. He's got to be part of the conversation. We have to be willing to actually share and speak with others about what we believe. But we said we're not going to just use our words. We're also going to shine the light of the gospel with our actions. To shine the light of the gospel through our actions means to do what Jesus did, to be present, to engage the world around us. When you experience a situation you can move and serve in, do it. Be that light in that context, in that moment. We talked a lot last week, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, service. These aren't just Christian Mad Lib words to throw out. These are to be the markers of who we are, and we can do that because we have received these things. You have received grace, Christian, so you can show grace to others. You have received the love of God so you can be loving to others. You were forgiven for your sins and trespasses, so you know how to forgive. Because you know what it feels like, what it is, and how it can change everything. We are saved from the wrath of God towards sin to be a blessing to others. We can be a blessing by living in response to the gospel. That is the call. That is what we have signed up to be as Christians. That's why God saved you, so that you would bless others. The blueprint has been given to us in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He showed us the way. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sacrificial love for the betterment of another person. That's the gospel in action. And so we shine the light of the gospel with our words and our actions. That's the first way that we are going to be a lighthouse in Chicago, Roscoe Village, and the world. The second is that we are going to welcome. We welcome anyone searching for a place of rest. We want to be the kind of place that regardless of your background, your age, your current situation, what you came from, you can come here and find rest and comfort, find a place to work through things, to process and ask questions, to just be with the ultimate purpose of helping people becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ. And so to be this kind of welcoming place, intentional hospitality has to be at the forefront of our minds. Hospitality is not just how you decorate a living room or how you throw a party. It can involve those things, sure, but really it's more about making a person feel welcome, comfortable, at ease in their current situation. Biblically, it's almost always dealing either with the care and service of strangers or those who are unable to care for themselves. Hospitality seeks to care for people and love a person who is outside of your own world, outside of your own comfort zone. If you aren't looking beyond your bubble of regular and set relationships, you are missing an opportunity to be the light of the world God has made you to be. Biblically, we could talk about a lot of different passages. Leviticus 19, in the law, in the way that God 
told and formed the nation of Israel in the law of Moses. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When God was taking the nation of Israel and making them a people and giving them a law, giving them parameters, here's how to live, here's how to reflect my light to the world. He talked about the strangers, the sojourners, the aliens, the refugees. And he said, you're going to love them like they're anybody else because I love them. They are mine. They are made in my image and likeness. And so you're going to love them like you would love a native, like you would love one of your own. He said, you're going to do that because I want you to remember you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. You were once slaves there. And he says, I am the Lord your God. That I am the Lord your God there, that's shorthand for God to say, remember what I have done. Remember how I brought you out of slavery of Egypt. In Exodus 6, Moses tells the people of God that God had spoken to them, to, and, or God had spoken to him that he was going to lead them out of slavery. And this phrase is what God tells him to begin with. Tell them, I, the Lord your God, have said this. It's how the Ten Commandments starts. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's just God saying, remember what I have done for you. Trust my goodness. Trust how I have cared for you. This phrase is to remind them to remember God. Remember, I am the God of hospitality. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I made a home for you. I provided a place for you. I united you as a people. That's who our God is. So if we're going to be his people, we've got to love the things he loves, the care for strangers. That's a thing God loves because our God is a God of hospitality. It has always been part of and it is part of the character and person of him that we see it pour out in Jesus' ministry. When you read through the Gospels and Jesus interacts with whether it's the disciples or anybody else, he's present. He cares. Jesus is never in a rush. He's never running anywhere. He's present with people. Even when he's on his way to something else and he gets interrupted, he's present. He knows the things that people need in that moment, and he cared for them in that way. It's why his interactions and his miracles differ from person to person, because each interaction was unique. If you've got your Bibles open, I told you you should. Flip over to, to Luke. So you should be in Matthew. You can keep going to your right. Go to Matthew, Mark, and go to Luke 23. Back towards the back. If you get to John, that's okay. Go back to the left a few pages. Luke 23. Starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is being crucified. Perfection is being executed. He had committed no crime. He had done nothing wrong, yet he hung there, stripped, naked, beaten, and abused. He hung there, the one who knew no sin. He hung there, the one who had healed and taught and fed and performed miracles, who had forgiven sins, who demonstrated what hospitality was, even though he was broke and homeless. There hung God in the flesh, and one more time, him hanging on the cross shows us this is what hospitality, this is what the care for others looks like. 
to seek out and provide in that moment what someone truly needs. That's Jesus on the cross. Because in that moment, what humanity needed was a savior, was a way out of our situation. The fact that our sin separates us from God declares us dead, helpless, and hopeless objects of God's wrath. And so Jesus stepped in. Jesus dies on the cross and in doing so absorbs, takes on all of the wrath of God for all of the sins of the world. Justice was fulfilled. Sin was punished through him so that anyone and everyone who would admit their need for a savior and put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins would find new life here, now, and new identities as the children of God. The gospel is hospitality. Even at Jesus' physical weakness, he's literally dying. He's in the process of suffocating to death, and he takes that moment to extend hospitality. A criminal, a stranger, a man who admits he is no hero, he is not moral, he has done nothing good, he deserves to die on that cross, he rightly admits and realizes he belongs there. That man has extended the hospitality of Christ. In that moment, Jesus cares for that man in the way he needed it most, forgiveness and acceptance into the kingdom of heaven. Hospitality is always a focus of God. Even while he's dying and he had eternity and humanity on his mind, he is present in that moment, showing the love and care to this criminal. There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. He didn't reject or ignore this guy or anyone else throughout the Gospels based on their background or their understanding or their past or their present. Whether it was tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus or the Pharisee Nicodemus who wouldn't even meet with Jesus in the daytime. He wanted to meet with him in the middle of the night because he was afraid of his own reputation being soiled. Or the Roman soldier seeking the healing for his servant. Or the countless times a disciple asked a ridiculous question or just didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them. Or the lepers or the prostitutes or the demon possessed. Over and over Jesus welcomes all of them. Welcomes them where they were, who they were. Welcomes the questions. He welcomes the doubt and the confusion and the shame and the guilt and the worry and the hurt. And they bring it to Jesus. And he says, okay, we don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to. He doesn't grill them on their theology. He is just present and he cares for them. He is compassionate and he makes it possible for them to experience him so that they might experience life change. So it should be for us that we would be a welcoming people, that we would open our doors to anyone and everyone seeking rest, seeking hope, the people who come into this church seeking something and they don't even know what it is. And when they show up with their emotional and mental and relational and spiritual baggage, lucky for us, we got two big, wide double doors on the front. We can always make room for everybody and whatever baggage we're going to bring in this week. The church does not belong to us. It is Jesus' bride. He decides who is welcome into the family. Our role and responsibility is to care for one another and to welcome people into the community. We are not the bouncers trying to keep people out, but rather we are the hosts put here to make it easier for others to engage with the community and more importantly, engage with God himself. We are a transient church by the nature of being a church in Chicago, and we're going to talk about that more in a second. We have seen people come and go. It happens. One of the coolest things about being a pastor of this church is we've gotten to experience is that people have come into this community who are tired and beat up and confused and hurt. And the people of this church have welcomed and embraced and allowed them room to ask questions and to learn and grow and heal. And we have seen lives change. We have sent many, many people out into ministry, out into other churches, into leadership, 
we were able to provide a welcoming community for people that allowed them to come and get some rest and learn and grow and recover so that they could go out into the world and shine brightly. The importance of being a place that welcomes people, that doesn't judge or criticize or ostracize. There is a beauty and life-giving nature to that. So that means we got to be intentional with one another. Pay attention. Be present in conversation. Be physically present on Sundays and at different gatherings throughout the year. Be present and part of a community group. Seek out opportunities to be hospitable. Maybe that's welcoming people into your home. Or maybe that's just extending the invitation for coffee. Or it's sending that text to encourage someone. It's considering what does this person need in this moment right now and acting on it. Allow people a safe space to be genuine. Because we all struggle with all kinds of different things. We have different backgrounds and experiences and frames of reference. We hold different views and opinions. But when the gospel is the foundation of the relationships, the foundation of those conversations, it allows us to venture into complex issues and learn and grow and encourage and challenge one another to pursue Christ in those places. We shine the light of the gospel with our words and our actions, and we welcome anyone who is seeking, searching for a place of rest. Lastly, we send. We send people out to follow the calling of God in their lives. People leave churches. It happens. It has happened here. It will happen here again. We can either choose to be angry and frustrated every time somebody leaves, or we can choose to be intentional to take part in what God is doing and to not only send people, but to use the time God has given us with them to serve and build one another up. When we talk about sending, there are two ways to think of that. There's long-term sending, when people leave our community long-term. Because, look, not everybody stays at the lighthouse forever. Some stay longer than others, but people will leave. When that happens, we want to send them out, which means we don't lose people. We send people. There's a difference to that. When you lose something or someone, it's your favorite item, it's your favorite hat, or more importantly, you lose somebody that you love. There's a feeling of anger and grief and annoyance and a lack of closure. Whereas when you send, when you give, when you donate, you still feel the grief of loss, but now you have the closure and now it's to know this was done for a purpose. That someone else is experiencing the joy and value that you did. There was a purpose to the loss. And so we send long term, but we also send Daily, we are on mission to make disciples, becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ. That's what we're trying to do every day. So that means every day we are being sent out by God into the world. And we are always sending out one another, following the call of God in our lives. We're a community of sending. We're a community of going into the world. As you are going, Jesus says in the Great Commission, make disciples. Every week we finish this service with a prayer. And nine times out of ten, it's the prayer of blessing from Aaron to the Israelites in number six. It's a sending prayer. It's a prayer seeking the Lord's grace and favor as we go out into the world. Whether we're sending long term or just we're talking about the daily sending that all of us experience all of the time. It takes intentionality because both of those things acknowledge what we've already talked about. That we are the lights of the world. That's not a question. That's not up for debate. The reality, that reality should affect the way that we interact with one another and how the church should function because ultimately we live with a purpose. I got one more passage to get you to. Go to Mark 3 in your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So you're going to your left. Mark 3. 
I think you're looking for page 837 if you're using the uh, CPA, CPAC Bible. Mark 3, picking up in verse 13. It says, he, Jesus, went up to the mountain and called on them, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and, might, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Beginning of his ministry, this is Mark 3, so this is early on. Jesus calls, appoints, and sends disciples out for a purpose. He chooses 12 men. He calls them fishers of men. We talk about sending people to follow the calling of God in our lives. That's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He calls them. He appoints them. He gives them a task. He gave them authority, his authority, and he gives them the task of preaching, sharing the truth of God, to cast out demons, to expel darkness from the world. All things that they have been called to do, we as Christians are still called to do. Now, you might not directly cast out a demon, but you, as the light of the world, are called to expel the darkness of the world you encounter. There is a purpose to Jesus calling the twelve, just like God has a purpose for you. And I love in verse 13, right at the beginning, he says, He called to him those whom he desired, and they came. We all want to be needed, right? It, it, it feels good to be needed. When I'm at home, even if it's something as silly as like, hey, can you get that off the top shelf? Or when my kids break something and they want me to try and fix it. I like it. I, I love being able to step in and serve. It's a satisfying, life-giving feeling to be needed, right? And as nice as it is to feel needed and necessary, think about how sweet it is to feel wanted. To have somebody want you, even if they don't need you, they just want you and your presence and your friendship. They enjoy you, not what you can or can't do for them, but just to be with you, to spend time with you, because they enjoy you. Jesus didn't need his disciples. He didn't need them to carry out what he was pursuing. He doesn't need them to get to the cross. He doesn't need them to do all the things he does over the course of his ministry years, but he wanted them. God doesn't need you anymore. He is the almighty creator of all existence who has always been and always will be. He is the creator and sustainer of everything. He reigns and rules in complete and absolute perfect righteous authority and perfect absolute righteous goodness. You and I get angry when we get cut off on the street and we can't wait two minutes for our burrito to heat in the microwave without getting bored. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants you. He wants you to be part of what he is doing in the world. He wants you to be part of reflecting his glory to the world. He wants you to be part of what he is doing to redeem and renew all things back to himself. He wants you to help reflect the light in the world of darkness. God wants you. 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that he might, we might live through him. God sent his son to die for us. He sent him with an intentional mission, with a purpose to rescue and redeem us from the slavery of sin. If for no other reason, we should be a people who send out one another because that's who God is. He sent Jesus, not because he needed us, but because he wants us, because he wants you. Which also means he wants the person next to you. He even wants the people who sit on the other side of the church, those people that sit and it looks weird. He wants them too. He wants everybody. And so because God always has a purpose for us, he made us with a purpose, and he definitely has a purpose for you, that means he also has a purpose for others in our community. 
And he wants us to encourage and equip and support each other to follow those purposes in our lives. And so we send one another, sometimes long term, sometimes we say goodbye and the people leave forever. But also we are daily being sent to be the lights of the world. The mission of CF is becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ. And we talked about how that means we're making disciples. We want to be a people who help others make disciples and be disciples of Jesus. Jesus. And so this sending idea of make, it actually goes in line with making disciples. These things are not intention because we are sending people to follow the calling of God in their lives. That's literally what it means to be a disciple. A follower of Jesus is serious about becoming more and more like him. So us having a mentality of we're sending one another daily and sometimes in long-term spats. It's us encouraging and supporting people being a disciple. So when we send people out of CF and say goodbye for a long time, it means they're coming from CF to another place. Yes, that's quite obvious. But that means we're part of their story and they're part of our story forever. For better or for worse, we're tied together. No matter where God might send all of us in the future, we all will get there and share stories and talk about our time at CF. So since we are sending people, both long-term and daily, it is our responsibility to help each other grow and mature in our abilities, to grow in faith and leadership and skills and abilities to see each other grow as Christians. Because we are always sending and being sent, we should then always be mindful of how we are helping one another grow. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We want the places we go, whatever church, ministry, neighborhood, job, community, to be better because we poured into one another and helped each other grow and in turn made those places better. That's what it means to be a church that sends. It also means we don't know how long we have with one another. And so we're going to love and build and challenge and equip one another for as best we can for as long as we can. That's going to require grace. Grace to bear one another's burdens and to walk with one another through the hard and messy parts of life. We want to send one another out into the world to be the light in the context God has given us. To be a church that sends is to be intentionally considering and acting on ways to build one another up and strengthen one another. Because you have purpose. Each individual person was created by God with the image of God embedded into them with the purpose to glorify him. And if you are a Christian, your purpose is to make disciples, to point others to him. That's the purpose we have. And that's a big and overwhelming at times thing, but you're not alone in it because God has called you and given you the Holy Spirit. And he has called you to this weighty thing and he is for you and with you. He is going to do the work. You just have to be willing to step into the good works he has prepared beforehand for you. God has called you to make disciples. We at CF pursue that and fulfill that purpose by being a lighthouse in Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world, which means we shine the light of the gospel in our words and in our actions. We welcome anyone and everyone seeking rest, and we will send people out to follow the calling of God in their lives. We're going to do all of that in an effort to make disciples, to see people grow and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. That's our purpose. That's our plan. So let's pray and sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this place, this church, this community you have given us. 
you made it clear to your followers. Teach others what they were taught. Live how Jesus lived. Be people of compassion and mercy and grace. Be people who don't just wait for opportunities to serve and love fall into their lap, but be people who are mindful. People who are intentionally looking for opportunities to care and pour out and give of themselves for others. God, in a noisy, busy world that is constantly pulling at us in every different way and trying to distract us in every different way, God, help us to be mindful and intentional with the way that we live and the way that we interact. Help us to be intentional to seek out opportunities to serve and love, opportunities to shine and to welcome and to send. God, these things are hard. They can weigh us down and and we feel the emotions, we feel the connection, especially when we send, when we say goodbye, it's hard. But we know that you're doing a big thing and an awesome thing and you have invited us to be part of it and we get to be part of each other's stories and we get to share in the glory of seeing your church being strengthened and built up. God, help us to Hold this place, hold our, the ministries we serve in, the relationships we have, the roles that we step into. Help us to hold them loosely. Help us to see each other not as burdens, not to see each other as projects, but to see each other as how you see us. Your image bearers, your lights. Help us, as it says in Hebrews, give us a passion and desire to stir one another up, to see each other win, to see each other celebrate the the ways that you have blessed one another and to see each other glorify you in all that we do. God, we thank you for this place, for this community. We thank you for what you continue to call us to. We know you don't need us, but the fact that you want us is amazing and mind-boggling. God, help us to shine brightly as the lights of the world you have made us to be. We thank you and praise you. Amen.